It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Just listening again to the latest vaccine news. I sent to Casey and Ross there as they were leaving Studio One. I said, lads, you know what will happen here? You're going to be taking your annual Santa calls in December time. People looking for vaccines from Santa for Christmas. Because it really is starting to get ridiculous now at this stage. Absolutely ridiculous. And to be fair, to be absolutely fair and give credit where it's due, the EU is more to blame than our own lads. It isn't often you get to say that now. I mean, like, okay, whatever raw or lack of it you have for Michal Martin and Stephen Donnelly and Leo Varadkar and the whole lot of them put together. The EU seems to be the problem here at this point in time. Now, whether we go outside it and source it ourselves, which for some strange, inexplicable reason our crowd don't seem to want to do, we're going to be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to try to get ourselves jabbed and back to some sort of normal life. And you know the problem, as I see it, is people are going to get more and more browned off and sick and tired of sticking by a set of rules with a promise of a jab and a promise of normal life. Where's me flipping injection, is what they're going to be asking. Something needs to be sorted out and sorted out quickly. But anyway, that's just me ranting to kick off. 1850-715-996. I want to start the programme this morning by highlighting the tremendous work of a Corkman in the UK. His name is James Chisholm. And he runs a boxing gym called The Locker Room in Southend, near London. And grew up in Toker, but he's been there now for ah, 20 years or more, and he's raising his own kids there and whatever. But he's doing remarkable work to try to keep youngsters away from a life of crime and a life of gangs and a life of knives. And I heard about him a little while back and got the chance to catch up with him last evening. James, your name came up, suggested to us, in fact, by a listener when we were discussing crime and young people and knives and gangs a number of weeks ago. It was good to get a chance to, to chat with you. Originally from Toker, based in Essex for quite a number of years, you, you run a, a gym, boxing club over there. And, and you have a, a passion, I think, 
for leading young lads away from a life of crime or at least trying to. Where did that interest come from, James? Uh, well, well, I suppose it's something I kind of fell into, really. I mean, I didn't plan on uh, opening up. I mean, I didn't really know my location as such. When I opened up a gym in South Den and Essex, I've seen so much, so much of an increase, really, in, in crime and especially knife and violent crime over the last 20 years, over the 20 years I've been there. It was like a totally different town, to be honest, 20 years ago. And year by year, things have got worse and worse. And I, whether I think, you know, London is spreading out and it's just a big influx of, of kind of county line drug crime and violent crime. And things have just got, I mean, the statistics are worrying to know what it's like in Cork myself uh, over there. But yeah, it's, the, the numbers aren't looking good. No, they're not looking good here at all. We, we have a, a really serious problem with, with the the possession of knives, the carrying of knives in the city. And some people say it's just waiting to explode. You you have seen firsthand the impact, haven't you? Yeah, certainly. I mean, where we're located, we're right in the, in the train station, actually, in South End. So we're literally in the middle of the, the county lines. And unfortunately, only last weekend, and it was all over the uh, the news over here, but we had, this, we had a 17-year-old boxer that was stabbed at five o'clock in broad daylight. And he unfortunately died, and obviously the investigation was ongoing. One of your own lads, was it? He, he boxed in a neighbouring club, actually, and that was just a couple of miles away from us. But yeah, he's a neighbour of ours, basically. Seventeen years old, I mean, and the kid, the kid that done it was uh, only a young. And that's 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 two lives gone and two families ruined. And yeah, it's it's very yeah, it's very 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 sad. And uh, you know, you think your kids are safe, but five o'clock in the afternoon, you worry about them if you're picking them up from a nightclub and they get a bit older, but. You'd think they'd be safe at five o'clock in broad daylight, you know? Yeah. Now, I'll get to the amnesty and, and the idea you had for it in, in a while, but growing up in Cork, like, your own experience of growing up. Yes, I mean, when I mean, when I said growing up, I always feel I was really in a lucky situation that I was obviously always into boxing from a very, very young age. So I felt like, you know, I was just guided and mentored and kind of empowered, really, and, and inspired by people around me to want to do better. I've always set goals and always wanted to uh, to achieve them. And I was just lucky at that, really. I mean, obviously, the influence was around me. I think it's around everybody, really. You know, but I managed to stick on the right track. and just one of the lucky ones. Boxing's an amazing sport that way, isn't it? The, particularly young lads getting involved in, in amateur boxing. Huge tradition, as you know, in Cork. It's it's very good for young lads, isn't it? Why is well, that? Yeah. And I think it's, I think as well as, you know, it's, it's the areas. I mean, you know, when you, when you grow up in, in nice places, boxing clubs aren't that accessible, you know, and, and the same for kids that come from maybe poverty or disadvantaged areas. They only know boxing gyms. They only know, you know, tough, tough sports. They, they don't get, I mean, tennis and golf is inaccessible, isn't it, in, in rough areas. And how, how did you get involved in boxing first? I, I suppose back then, you know, when we were young and back when we started in Talker Boxing Club, I mean, it was... There was a boxing club, I guess, 500 yards everywhere you went. It was an area in Cork City back, you know, even back 20 years ago. Yeah. So it, it was there and that's what the kids did. You know, the kids and the kids from the estates, we, we went boxing. Was, yeah. You know, we played Gaelic games. It was one of the two. But the GA was always a bit too tough for me. So boxing was easy. <laughs> get away. The GA was too tough, but boxing was <laughs> People talk about it being a rough sport, but it's, it, it's actually a sport that teaches you huge discipline, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're told... 
you're told to hit when you have to hit. You're told to stop when you got to stop. You know what I mean? That's control. That's discipline. That takes a lot of, you know, years of mentoring and proper coaching. 100%. Yeah. And one of the great things about it is it does keep fellas, young lads, on the straight and narrow. It keeps them or helps at, at least yeah. helps them to avoid getting into gang culture and stuff like that. Why, why do you think that is, James? I think as well as been it's been around. I mean, going to a boxing gym, you're around kind of like-minded people who, who you know, there's more opportunities there for them, you know. And it's just giving that, like when you're around kids that are of the same, the more you want to be pushed, you want to be, you know, you're motivated, you're inspired, you're empowered, and the hub, you know, like a boxing gym, the coaches and the trainers, they're like a fodder figure to some of these kids, you know. I mean, I know more about the kids' home lives that come down my gym than their own parents, you know? You know, the old saying, kids in sports stay out of court. It's like, you know, giving kids that opportunity and trying to ensure that the right people are there to push them forward. They don't want to see, you know, guys in a shirt and tie or the probation officer or the, you know, the people ticking boxes. They, they want to see the coach. They want to see, we're like physical counsellors, you know? It's a very good way of putting it. So... Come back to Knives and that awful experience there just recently now of, of the lad that you, that you knew of. Do you know, when a, when a young man reaches a point in his teens where he joins a gang and picks up a knife for the first time, have you, you've probably studied what, what pushes young lads that way. What is it? It's difficult. It's the, it's the, you know, the one that the fitting in, isn't it? And, I mean... It's as well as the fair factor. I think a lot of the kids, they feel like they have to, they simply have to carry a knife to defend themselves. You know, it's not, it's not the fact that they want to go out to hurt somebody or, or to get hurt themselves because they really know the outcome and what's going to happen. But it's that fair factor. I mean, the, the biggest problem we have really in Essex here is, is the county line drug gangs. I mean, very high profile drug gangs. Uh, I've had like nine-year-old kids, as young as nine, that, that have been referred to me, you know, to try and like literally safeguard them really is, the boxing is almost there as a last resort, but you know the, the councils are that desperate that they're referring these young kids to me to try and you know to try and save them from the gangs. At nine, they're in gangs. Nine years old—that's the youngest. When they rang me, I just couldn't believe the age. But they're nine and they're carrying the weapons and drugs and money. So they're sent on the trains. They're sent on the trains. But the reason why they're carrying a weapon is because if they lose the drugs, they lose the money that they're handing off they can't go back to the gangs. So there was so much in fear of losing the drugs, losing the money, because the gangs have infiltrated them in that way, that they're carrying, because you know, they're willing to do anything to stop the drugs and the money getting taken from them. What kind of a sick individual puts a nine-year-old child in that position? It's, it's a horrible food chain. It's, very, very, yeah. it's a very horrible food chain. I mean, there's, there's lots of big, there's lots of big uh, police things going on over here in Essex with all the drug cartels and that but yeah it's yeah it's very very sick a nine year old child nine year old kid and and like I mean I obviously wouldn't want you to be identifying anybody but I mean how does it happen that a nine year old ends up with a knife in his hand collecting money for drugs it goes down the chain I mean that these kids are the kids that you think are safe you know down the local park mixing with them even during during lockdown and stuff like mixing with other kids and there's then there's then youths, maybe 15, 16 year olds that are there put in place to basically recruit these younger kids because these younger kids won't get stopped generally on the trains or you know they get away with the with passing the drugs around easier so they literally just infiltrate 
they're, they're, they're set recruiters sent into these local parks to recruit these young kids at the youngest age. Is it the dream of, of money in your pocket? Yeah, I mean, they're very well rewarded, but obviously what, com- what comes with big rewards is big risks. Once they're in, that's, they, they put the fare in something, and the kids, obviously, it's just impossible to leave, isn't it? Like, it's like any, like any drug, you want the bigger things, and that's exactly what being in any gang is going to lead to. And is there a thing that, you know, a harmless bunch of young lads who just, say, hang around in a park, kicking a ball, or just playing around, doing harmless things, they're targeted as a group to bring them all in? They're targeted in terms of, you know, I think like any, like there's a million and one reasons, but I think like any any group of young lads, someone wants to be the big boy, someone wants to be the leader of the gang, someone wants, so there's always that one kid, you know, that that wants to put himself forward, isn't there? Always a class clown, always there. But, you know. Will he be the guy who first brings the knife? Yes, yeah, yeah. Is there always, is there always one that starts... There, there, there is always one because I mean, we I know from even even from nice areas and nice towns where, you know, where I was even kind of ten miles away from the towns that were bad. Now, now we're seeing. I mean, we've had some other knife incidents around Christmas and New Year, literally around the block from me, and these things are pushing out. You know what I mean? Further and further into the suburbs and into into these areas, and it's it's getting deeper and deeper, which is very very worrying. I've got three young kids myself, you know, and that's the reason why I'm, well, I'm just playing my part and doing, doing the best I can do because, yeah. you know, you want to leave the, the towns and the places in a better situation for them, don't you? And what, you know. This kind of thing where adults look at youngsters in, in gangs and they think, ah, shit, they're harmless, they're not doing any harm, but, but there's something that the older generation doesn't see because it's well hidden from them, isn't there? Yeah, we don't see. And to be honest, I'm always very, very surprised sometimes when, you know, there's a, a lad comes into the gym and then someone will, you know, notify me and say, oh, so, you know, you know, this is Southend's most prolific, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, geez, sometimes I don't see it myself. And I think it's one of those things you'd always find hard, you know, anything can surprise you these days. And they're the kids sometimes that, you know, will get away with it, I guess, because they're not, they're the kids not playing up. They're making... They're making good money, they're living the life and they're keeping their heads down and getting on with it, which is a, they're the crafty ones, yeah. So how did you come to the point where you came up with the knife amnesty idea? Like, where, first of all, where did it come from? But what, what was the motivation to try to do it besides your own kids? The, the motivation really was, I guess, I mean, we looked at how, I mean, like I said, I'm on, I'm on the train station, so it's an everyday occasion that the, the transport police are sealing off areas and they're pulling into the car park in the gym. And you see a lot going on where I am. So uh, we, we started off with some community projects and actually we started off in some schools doing a behavioural management programme to try and nip things in the bud, you know. So uh, we were sending trainers out to schools and helping some of the schools with some behavioural management by literally running, you know, boxing and activity programmes and after-school clubs and from there, really, you know, you found out that was always the kind of the one or two worst kids that were kind of dragging the things down, which obviously had a bit more serious intentions. So we decided just to go bigger with a project and we got involved with the, uh, we contacted like the Essex Police and the Youth Defending Services in the local areas and just kind of combined to share information and to, uh, to get this project going. It's called Cowards Carry Knives and uh, Knives, you know, Knives Down, Gloves Up. One of them started in London that was similar. And, uh, yeah, we just went from there, really, and we seen what, what they had put in place. 
And what was it? Come and hand in the knife, no questions asked? The, the actual amnesty itself, yeah, like the, the knife bin as such that the, the police put there. I mean, that is just another, you know, another small piece of what we're... It's a way of reaching out, really. So doing that through local media and newspapers was we were offering a free gym membership to the kids because some of the kids that I look after that are, you know, in the worst situation that come from domestic abuse and, you know, they, they could never pay me gym membership anyway. And being a bit of a soft... Well, at the beginning, I said being a bit of a soft touch, but I just said, these kids, you know... This was their only. This was their only safe haven. They were going back to this, you know, these houses full of domestic abuse, and so I did literally come up with this thing. Like, you know, we all have to pay it forward. So basically, I come up with a system that we would just roll out with. If they, you know, any any kids handed in a knife, they would receive a gym membership, and it was a way of just trying to get them on the referral schemes and trying to safeguard them because we run other projects through the club. So it was just a, a reach out, really, another shout out to try and get the. Uh, just trying, yeah, bring in, bring in their knife. And, and did you notice that some of them came and, and got rid of the knife because of the offer of the membership? Yeah, yeah, they had to come and see me personally. Yeah, they had to come and see me personally to uh, to do that. And we put them on a referral scheme. In um, how long we're we running it? Obviously, we've been locked down for the last year, but it's gone for about 16, 18 months. I'd seven and seven lads that had come forward, seven different lads. I mean, and three of them actually went on to uh, represent us, like to kind of to fight for the club and to, you know. So we've done really well with a few, with a handful of them lads. And do they talk to you about making that choice and and why they made that choice? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, geez, I mean. We have to think with me sometimes. I don't get to sleep because I, I, I come home from the gym sometimes at 10 o'clock and I'm thinking, oh, where's so-and-so? You know, he's, he's gone off. I haven't seen him in a few weeks. But, you know, because I've gone off the radar a little bit. And you, you genuinely worry about the kids. So, you know, I always throw him a text or a message, especially even now the last year in lockdown. I've, I've met a few of the lads down the, kind of down the seafront and that, just to, just to stay in touch with them, just to keep them on track and to... You know, you know, lads. You know, the gym's back soon. We're back open, so just trying to stay in touch, trying to keep everyone together, and trying, you know, because that's the thing, isn't it? Is that when they're not around and people, when that integration isn't there, and they're not around like-minded people, they fall back into into old ways. You know? And and do they appreciate that this that there's a there's a thing as you I'm sure you know if you've heard of it, James, called the, the one good adult. Be the one good adult in a kid's life. You make a huge difference. So if are you kind of the one good adult in, in these lads' life lives? And do they appreciate it? Do they appreciate the text at half ten at night? I look I I know I, like like I know that some people do do take the pain a little bit with a with with the system and with some of the projects and some are referred on the projects because they really need to just tick the boxes and they don't want to be there but that's life isn't it you're going to win some and lose some as long as you know you're doing the best you can and sometimes you've got to reach out and some people just need that extra push as well you know or maybe we're not their light bulb and I bring in if I feel as a better person to work with that person you know whether that be like male or female or the, then I look to try and get the right person and you know the right person wearing the shoes of that person it's you know, there's someone for everyone. It it must be very rewarding to to see a lad that was headed the wrong way. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And I mean, I know we probably, you know, we lose more than we gain, like in terms of wit, trying to change people's lives. But the few that we do, yeah, certainly, it, it is very rewarding. Very rewarding because, yeah, you look at them and even just looking at them, you know, 
even people that I haven't seen in a, in a number of years and then I'll turn their lives around and sometimes, you know, I just check them out on social media. I've just seen them clean cut, you know, wearing nice clothes, having it, holding down a job. That They're the rewarding things, you know, that they become a man, that they're actually going to work nine to five. They're the things that please me, you know. Yeah. That they've got a future. There's a future there for them. And, and they've, they've, you know, they've taken an opportunity and they've rode with the opportunity. That's, that's life, isn't it? That's, yeah. And that may well have come from knives down, gloves up yeah he's like yeah well we're all part and parcel I think every business can play a part you know regardless of what you want to call it and regardless of what business you run whether it's an office thing where you know there's big incentives going forward with mental health and over here I know that everything works differently but the government are offering all these apprenticeship schemes to businesses to try and take younger kids on and everyone can play their part you know if you just you know if just for, just for one person there, there is there is things there and we just got to, uh, everybody in the community has got to play a part, I think, you know, it's not up to the boxing coaches or the, the trainers or the, the hubs of the community. Everybody can play a part. Being a parent yourself has been a real motivator for this, hasn't it though? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I had three young kids that are now, you know, 11, 13, 14, they're, they're all going into teenagers. So uh, They're at the age where they would be, they would be prey for some of these gangs. Certainly, and I'm, I'm well aware of that. And I'm listening, asking them, trying to make them accountable. You know, will you be playing with, where are you going? The usual, well, you'd like to think the usual is the usual parenting stuff, but I'd rather play bad cop than good cop. You know, they can, uh, they can, uh, you know, hate me for it for a few years, but I'd rather them get to an age where they think, oh, actually, you know, dad was right, or dad was only looking out for us. And, uh, I'm not necessarily your friend, I'm your dad. Exactly. Yeah. There's probably people listening to us, James, who, who are worried about not just a teenager, but worried about a six, seven and eight year old. Yeah, and that's getting younger. What's ahead of them in, in five years. What advice would you have for parents? It's the influence, isn't it? And I think, you know, now with social media, things are so accessible, you know, from, from online bullying to, I mean... You know, my, one of my kids, I was, you know, I had a bit of a, an issue with him with being besotted about, you know, likes and followers and, oh, dad, with this and that, and, you know, on Instagram and blah, blah, blah. And I've got so many likes and followers. But the kids, I've grown up with this, you know, this belief that they have, uh, it's how they're viewed and how they're, you know, there's, there's no self-love there, isn't it? The love come, they feel like they've got to have all this influence around them to, to feel, you know, to feel like they're somebody, to feel like they have an identity. So their identity is on like social media and you know, all these like real life skills are missing, aren't they? And that's why, that's why, again, things like with sport and getting kids into, like trying to identify what your kids' hobbies and interests are from a very young age. And then basically, like I was just saying to you actually uh, on the call earlier about, you know, the kids I was trying to find to get to get on the Zoom call, but the kids are all on football, you know, mastery things and dance lessons and whatever. I mean, I'm well aware that's not accessible to, to everyone, but it's trying to push your kids to try and basically grasp as many interests and hobbies as you can from an early age, you know, to keep them busy and to keep them, you know, knowing you've done your best really, and that's all you can do, isn't it? Yeah, it's your job in a way, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Setting boundaries, and of course it is. You know, just trying to find the balance. But it is it is a very very tough one for kids, and it's getting younger. I mean, these kids are eight or nine, wanting to be men now. You know, there's, there is there's, there's no childhood anymore, is there? Yeah, they grow up too fast. It's not. It's true. And it's going to get faster. They're, they're given a phone when they're you know they're playing on mummy and daddy's phone when they're four or five years older. It's there, isn't it? And exactly, the childhood is very very short now. 
but that's why it's so important to try and, like I said, not to not to let these kids just sit on their Xboxes. And you've got to get them out, get them out there, get them out in the fresh air, get them moving. And that's why I really feel a parent sh- should be accountable for more. You know, it, it is up to us. It's easy to sit there and moan about them. But you know, you've got to do that. You've got to get up and get the kids out. Come back. Finally, again, to the whole getting the kids into sport, getting them into the boxing, getting them into the gym. Have you any understanding, James, about why Mike, that, why, like in the case of the fellows who were headed the wrong road and now they're representing the gym and they're going to change their lives, how come a gym and a coach works when police intervention doesn't Police, in, police intervention. I mean, what what we think about police enforcement really is not. You you got to tackle the root. I mean, the root causes of why people become you know like involved in in knife crime and violent crime. Why did they become involved in that in the first place? So the police is there. You know, some of it's a great system. The rehabilitation programs, the this, the that. But that's the aftermath, isn't it? I mean, that's that's the end result. Like we've got to be nipping these things in the bud. We've got to be tackling the root causes. And that's why the gym is that piece of the puzzle at the beginning, you know, because like I said about being the physical counselling, being the, you know, giving them more opportunities around like-minded people, that social integration, you know, the police isn't the answer. And that's, 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 that's the result of them. That's the result of the crime, you know? Yeah. And is it that the gym, the boxing, the sport, it gives them something to focus on, something to grow with, rather than growing with a gang with a knife in your hand running around after bags of drugs? Yes, yes, certainly, certainly. I mean, boxing, you know, it just happens to be obviously a great for stress busting and mentally and physically, you know, a great way to release aggression. So that helps as well, obviously, releasing endorphins. We're all controlled by hormones. So, you know, when you, when you get those feel-good hormones flowing from any sport, that's you, isn't it? You're not longer, the, you know, you're not sitting there with anxiety and depression and, you know, you have next pick me up from drugs or alcohol or, you know, you're getting those feel-good hormones into you. That's why sport is fantastic. I'm, I'm very glad that we got in touch with you because the, Andrew, who contacted us, told us about what you'd managed to achieve over there. And like you said, you yourself say, well, it might only be a handful, but, but it's a handful of lads Whose, whose path you've managed to change. James, it, it's fantastic work that you're doing. Do you ever get home to Cork these days? Uh, yeah. 12 months. I'm home quite regularly. Uh, when, uh, before lockdown, I, I go home as, mu- as much as I can, to be honest. Uh, I've got a regular flight slot on uh, the stance at the Cork flight. So, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like I arrive about half past nine morning back to Toker. So I'm, I'm, I ring my mum in the airport and she's already putting on the old clinical to uh, sausages and pudding. So I do, I do miss that. <laughs> But I'm stocked up over here, don't worry, I order online, so uh, yeah. I don't go short of Barry's tea and, uh, and breakfast, that's for sure. Listen, it is great talking to you, James. Thanks, PJ, thank you very much. And, t- and thanks for taking our call. No worries at all, take care, bye-bye now. Lovely fella. We actually stayed talking for longer than that uh, last night. Lovely, lovely guy. Actually, the case that uh, he refers to there of the young... The young boy stabbed recently, the lad he knew, was a, a fellow called Luke Belfield. I'm reading from the Essex News. Luke, Luke Belfield was his name. He was stabbed to death on the 26th of February at a place called Lee-on-Sea. Promising young boxer, says the newspaper. He was with the Repton Boxing Club in Bethnal Green in East London. And actually his murder came up in Parliament in the last few days during question time when his local... 
MP, I know he said TD, his local MP brought the question up with Boris Johnson and Bojo said, I sympathise very much with Luke's family and friends. There's nothing I can say will alleviate their loss. What we're doing, he said, is recruiting many more police officers to fight crime, rolling up the county lines drugs gang. That's what that's what um, James referred to, taking out plans to keep serious sexual and violent offenders behind bars for longer. And that investigation is ongoing. Thank you to James Chisholm. Uh, uh, Tim says the outsider who wants to help is more accepted because they come from outside. Total dedication is the key characteristic. Great to hear a good news story. I can agree with James here. I ran a snooker club for five years, dealing with kids from a whole myriad of social backgrounds. But I can honestly say the kids who played in my club were also in boxing clubs and were the most respectful kids to deal with, as the discipline of boxing with a young or old is impeccable. And I should thank Andrew Carroll, who regularly contacts us here on the show and has been on with us a couple of times, talking about various things, including his charity work. Andrew was the one who told us first about James and uh, thanks to Andrew for, for that. He said, it's great to see the likes of James doing what he does and putting kids' lives first and for having a conscience and the balls, let's use the words, to make a stand in a sport that's often associated with maybe the not-so-nice things in society. And says, fair play to that lad, speaking from the boxing club. Well done. It should come into all the schools here too. Catch frustrated children Early on, Jim says, I assure you, some of the gangs here in Cork, some of them are going around with knives. The idea that James has might work to a small extent, but I'm not convinced some of these youngsters would choose boxing rings over the gangs. But the thing is, even James admits that, Jim, you'll never get them all. You might only ever get a handful of them, but isn't it worth the effort? Kayla says, or Kayla says, you'd see all the posing and the posturing on Snapchat, and it'd worry you. That man is doing great work. But at the same time, you'd worry we could turn out like Essex. He's a very beautiful drop in a filthy ocean. Isn't that a lovely choice of words, Kayla? Thank you for that. He's a very beautiful job, drop in a filthy ocean. That's lovely. And Kate is reminding us of the story we were doing only a few days ago. Don't they want to close at a boxing club in the north side? People should rally around it. That's the story of, of Sunnyside. I'm going to put this out here. Just as a thought, and it's a story or it's a subject we might come back to. We'll do a bit more work in the background and come back to this. There are fewer boxing clubs around Cork than there used to be. Fewer of the amateur, community-based boxing clubs. And some of them were, were tumble-down sheds with just a boxing ring and maybe a few punch bags and some battered old gloves. And kids came along in just a shorts and t-shirt. And they had borrowed gloves. And it was blood, sweat and tears. And they, they went to boxing two, three nights a week. There are fewer of those small clubs around now. And I'm wondering, is it any coincidence that with the demise of the small community-based boxing club, where kids went and found a place for that normal teenage aggression to use it, to control it, to learn to deal with it. The demise of the small community boxing club, is there any tie-in between that and the rise in teenage crime? I'm only putting it out there. We will come back to it. 1850-715-996. Loads of people complimenting James 
on his great work. And he was a former manager of the Pav nightclub. That's where you may know him from, but that's, that's a while ago now. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh, he's done it. It's an equaliser. It's stoppage time. And it's all right here. Grealish for seven. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. Go, go. The Premier League Live Online. With Now TV. Stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sports on the Now TV Sports Extra Pass. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, big response to James. A lot of people saying huge kudos to him for the great work that he's doing. And, and even though, as he says himself, you might only ever catch two and three lads or two or three lads from, from going to the wrong side of the tracks. But that's two or three lives that you've changed or saved. And and the satisfaction from doing that, let alone the ability and the sheer determination to do it, it's admirable, absolutely admirable. 1850-715-996. We, this, where all this spurred from, or one of the ways, that, one of the things it came from was Fergal. Our Fergal has a massive network of contacts around the city at all levels of society and he was talking to a taxi driver that he knows recently and the the chap has emailed he said I'm the taxi driver that stopped Fergal in the street asking you to talk about knife crime I heard the program and fair play you do listen to suggestions but I'm annoyed there wasn't more of a pickup on it and this is the original discussion that we had. PJ, please tell parents listening, this is more important than the leaving cert. Your kids are carrying knives, or they know people who are. They're buying them off the internet, or know someone who buys them off the internet, and they're buying them off each other. They're on Snapchat. They're watching their drill heroes making videos. Every second, someone is a hoe, and someone is going to get shanked. The leaving cert can change your life, but what'll really change your life is getting stabbed, getting jailed, or seeing someone else getting stabbed. And that comes in from someone who just signs himself worried taxi driver, who was the person who originally asked us to to raise the, the topic and develop it. Father Dave Smith from Dulwich Hill in Sydney has the same type of boxing club as James, the Fighting Priest. Look him up. He's a record of the Fighting Priest. Look him up. He's a record holder. 1850-715-996. Do you remember we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about the illegal adoptions that were highlighted on primetime a week or two ago and how we've said repeatedly on this program, and I was talking to Sharon Lawless about that, that particular show, there's far more of it. It's not just the ones highlighted in primetime. There's far, far more. Well, in this morning's Examiner, 
Eva Moore has a story on the front page. Pressure mounting on the government to launch a full state inquiry after potentially 20,000 suspicious cases of illegal birth registrations were discovered. Illegal birth registrations, uh, translation, probably illegal adoptions with it. Uh, We heard about 140-odd from St. Patrick's Guild in Dublin. Many people have always suspected and been fairly certain it's much, much bigger than that. Among them, the founder of Antis, Marie Ryan O'Brien. Morning, Marie. Morning, you. Good to talk to you again. It is much bigger than a couple of hundred. It is, very much so. Uh, Very much so. Um, And it's very clear that uh, this was widespread. Um, We can, you know, there's been documentary evidence through adoption stories for the last number of years. There was the illegal adoptions uh, documentary on RT last week. But apart from that, we know from first-hand testimony from people who have gone through this and who have discovered that they were um, not the child, the biological child of their parents, um, that their documents were falsified and have had to come to terms with that later in life. Yeah, This review that's quoted in the paper advises against a full government inquiry saying it could cause more trauma. Would you agree with that? Uh, No, I don't because Apart from the fact we, we've been through a considerable amount of trauma um, over the last few weeks, both with the Commission and with the illegal adoptions announcement and the announcements, you know, the revelations rather from the Commission, it's been a very traumatic time uh, for the community as a whole. But I think that the least people deserve is the truth. The least people deserve is to know um, exactly why this happened. Um, and to get to the kernel of what was behind it. Um, anybody that I know who's an illegal adoptee wants to know why this was part of um, the construct, as it were, of society at the time, why this was necessary, um, and wants to have access to their own information, have an idea as to uh, the background to it, who their biological parents are, and so forth. And we're not going to do that if we do it on a piecemeal basis. I mean, as we said, the very, ba- the very least that people deserve is truth. Um, and I, I think that's a very weak argument is that like it's, it's only going to be upsetting it, what's more upsetting like having the rug pulled out from you like in your you know, 40s, 50s discovering that you were actually adopted as opposed to being the biological child of your parents um, you know it, there's a lot of trauma there yeah. there's a lot of trauma and it needs to be addressed and we can't do that by shoving it under the rug and walking away from it and as well as which there has to be an investigation into um, TUSLA and the AI and the manner in which they conduct their um, duties. When did they know it? How did they know it? Uh, why weren't people told earlier? Uh, why were they not told in a more sympathetic manner? There's information as well pertaining to people who were legally adopted that has been withheld. Why was that withheld? Who decided that it was going to be withheld? So what we've called for is a full investigation of all practices relating to adoption in all homes agencies um, that were involved in this, rather than just you know a very limited cherry picking, which has happened so far. I think that's the only way that we can move this forward. And you know, as we said, we need we need a clear picture. We need to know this just for ourselves, for our history, but also to have this knowledge and move forward and put the supports that we need in place for people who have been through this, mm. uh, citing that it may cause further. Tr- 
trauma and upset isn't really a sufficient reason for not investigating it, in my opinion. I recall in the very early 2000s when I started getting involved at an advocate level with, with legal adoptions, uh, organising a public meeting in Cork and or helping to organise it and we publicised it and we, we asked the hotel to, to lay out a hundred chairs and a half an hour before the meeting started we said can you get another 50 chairs like now yeah. Um, yeah. and that was for people who were legally adopted to come forward legally with the things adopted. on their yeah. mind. I, I suggest that we're now starting to quote a very overused uh, phrase these days, a second wave of people mm. who were illegally adopted, and there are thousands of them, and they now mm. need to be addressed. Well, what we've noticed is that there's a clear stratification of this. Um, like, there's three subgroups within groups. There's people who have been within the remit of the commission. Um, there are people who have been illegally adopted, and then there are people who have been legally adopted but weren't within the remit of the commission. Now, all of those three subgroups have needs, um, all of which need to be met and need to be addressed. Um, and in, you know, in doing so, I think that the best way to do it would be to have a forensic examination of files to ascertain what was known, when it was known. Um, and in doing so, we will have a clearer picture overall as to the, the background to adoption. I think that everybody agrees that the findings of the commission weren't sufficient. The investigations of the commission were not sufficient. And even the remit of the commission weren't sufficient. So, we need to have a clearer idea as to the history of this, the social context of it, but even on a personal level, um, the impact for people, the details that are in their files, were they withheld, who knew what, when, why was it withheld, mm. um, and addressing the issues. I mean, we've long argued that the baseline for support should be simply being adopted. It shouldn't be specific to homes or agencies, because certainly there are... Um, different needs and wants that people who have been through homes and agency, uh, other agencies have, but they should be seen as add-ons as opposed to standalone supports. Mm. Um, and certainly, I would like to see that there would be supports rolled out for people who have discovered that they were illegally adopted because, as you know, late recovery adoption is one of the most traumatic ways to find yeah. out that you're adopted. Absolutely. Um, Maggie I, I Norton, who was on the Primetime programme, I spoke to her earlier in the week, she's reaching out now with another television company to see if people will come forward who, who suspect that they may have been illegally adopted. Mm. I, I, can, I can expect a, a large response to that, do you? Yes, absolutely. And in many ways, it was done so well that I think that there, even if there's the most thorough of investigations, we're still going to be finding out over the next few years that people were illegally adopted and there was no paper trail. Yeah, because that was the whole idea. There was to be no paper trail. Hidden and, um, hid, hidden, and hidden forever. Indeed. Yeah, that's the way it was. Marie, we'll talk again, I have no doubt. Thank you very much. That's Marie Ryan O'Brien, the founder of Antis. This little kernel, uh, first broken, not by prime time, but first broken by people like Sharon Lawless and first broken uh, by people like Alison O'Reilly, um, that there was a slew of illegal adoptions out there. Uh, it's it's a little kernel and it's about to grow into a very big, very ugly tree. And I'll make a prediction now, and this is what? This is the 10th of March, 2021. That by the time we get to the 10th of March, 2022, this will be a much bigger issue. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Yeah, turning into a proper scut of a day out there now, and it's going to be horrible for the night as well into Thursday morning 
I have a couple of weather apps that I watch, as you know. One I talk about all the time, Dark Sky, really, really accurate one. But there's another one which is a big, clunky horse of a thing to use. But if you can find your way around it, it's brilliant for predicting stuff like this. It's called Magic Seaweed. And Magic Seaweed saw this coming Saturday into Sunday. In fact, I, tell you, I tweeted a screenshot from Magic Seaweed uh, Sunday morning early. And in actual fact, what's happened now is it's gotten here a little bit faster than, than Magic Seaweed was predicting. But the evening and the nighttime are going to be just horrible. <laughs> horrible, lads. And, and there isn't much prospect of too much improvement into the weekend. But looking after the weekend, I think a return to where we were by, by Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Back to the start of spring, which is where we were a few days ago. Good to see. Magic seaweed. As I said, a big, clunky horse of a thing. Um, like, don't try to get a quick weather forecast out of this, but if you can have, download it, have a look at it, dig into it, You can, if you can find the maps for, for this part of the world, uh, it, it's brilliant for predicting stuff like what we're about to go through. 185 the number of the number to call, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696, your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in the first hour of our program this morning, remember you can get it in the afternoon when we put up our podcast between 2 and 3. Generally, it goes up between 2 and 3, goes up to the Twitter first. We'll tweet the link, and then it goes to all of the individual various platforms that you choose to use yourself, and, of course, it drops onto the Course 96 FM app and you can find it there under podcasts. A few of your comments which I'm holding over but I want to get to, to Paddy O'Brien because I think this is a very relevant story in today's Echo uh, where Paddy O'Brien is quoted. Paddy, you, you got your first dose of vaccine uh, I think this day last week was it? Good morning to you. I did indeed uh, I didn't beat you I got it last uh, Thursday indeed okay. I was delighted to get Good it man. but, but man. the point I, I'm making very strongly to Brido uh, Graham at the evening was that people have the false impression that once you get the injection you can do what you like that we're, what I would term we can return to the gold days. We can visit neighbours. We can um, exceed the five kilometre restriction. We can go in town, have a cafe, and speak who we like. Or we can visit uh, the, the family homes of our, of our children, and we can have grandchildren called to the house. Um, I, I think, quite honestly, this, the HSC would have to come out and make a very, very strong scape in relation mm. to that because that is not the situation. And I'll give you an example myself. When people knew, when I mentioned one or two people, well, more than one or two, a good few people, and then I had got the infection because um, most people you speak to know today, that is the topic of a conversation. When are you getting the vaccination? Yes. So I was happened to say to some people, uh, perfectly getting, I was getting it. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And then when I told people I had it, when they said, did you get it? I had it. Oh, congratulations. Well done. As if I, as if I won the lotto. Yes, yes. But you see, we still have to be extra, extra, extra careful. Yes. I mean, yes. The, the situation is that I think that um, people are, are confused at the moment. And do I you do you know, Paddy? Was it the Pfizer's one you got? It was. Uh, yeah. The Pfizer's yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the well, what the experts tell us is that by the time mm. you get mm. your second, have you an appointment for the second one? 
not a definite appointment, but I would say three weeks. Three weeks. Okay. By the time you get, by the time it comes to your second one, uh, that's just a top up. Your immune system has actually managed to. But but the doctors and scientists tell us that your full level of immunity, whatever level of immunity you're going to have, is about eight to ten days after your second dose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think that's not going out there clearly enough? Oh, no, 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 not at all, not at all. And I, when I speak to people, I speak to a lot of old people, every, every, a lot of elderly people every day. And as I've already said, what I repeat myself, it's a topic of conversation. I, I'm not going to discourage them and say, no, I, I, I would say, continuously that to get the vaccination is great and it's um, the light at the end of the tunnel it gives people hope it gives people another uh, it brings with a sunshine and tell them so at least we're on we're on the move now there's something definitely happening but we must not forget everything we must not forget the rules and regulations we have to adhere to the restrictions mm. still and that's very 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 important for a yeah. few more weeks at least until for you get your second weeks, dose I, yeah. I think they would have to come out the HSE would have to come out and make a very very strong statement because as I say people who have really got it are under the impression they can do it their legs and I see people um, hugging each other and so on or oh, so congratulating people and everything and getting it and and the reality of the situation PJ is that um, that uh, you know you just have to be careful and and very careful of that mm. and um um, I, I suppose, I, I, to be fair, Paddy, you know, for people who have been, as I'm sure, I'm sure you have yourself, people who've been cocooning and pretty much living on their own for the last 12 months now almost, you know, it's it's very hard to wait even another day more when you've very, got your needle. It's harder than even the war, quite honestly, because I didn't want to... Um, concentrate specifically on, on just the uh, vaccination here. I said people out there are experiencing a brand new life. It's the, the loneliness of us, the depression that's there, they're sad, and we're going to have an awful lot of <clears throat> mental, mental ill problems when this is when this is all over. People, they wake in the morning at 7 o'clock, there's no one to speak to. The only one they can speak to is the, uh, the postman called to the door. There, there are people going with days and days and days. But I speak to anyone. I spoke to a gentleman yesterday. I won't mention his name over the phone, but I can tell you in private. And it was uh, six days since he spoke to anyone. I mean, that is a punishment in itself. And I think it's having an awful effect on the lives of, of, of people. I read an article recently where a lot of GPs, well, sorry, where a GP said a lot of elderly people uh, are not going are not going to the GP, they'll just be that bit nervous. And when GP spoke of a lady who went to him complaining of something else, and hopefully that she would get the courage while she was there to say, oh, I, the difference is the matter with her. People are scared, people are living desperate lives, they're lonely, they can't wait at it over and that's it. I know that you probably decided, for example, Paddy, that for the second year running that there will be no over 60s this year, but you're, you're, you're gearing up hopefully to be back if everyone well, is safe and well for 2022. Well, oh, that's booked already since yesterday. Get away, Dad. Get away. Yeah, it's on the uh, 22nd of uh, May. 22nd of May is the semi-final or sort of rather the final of the over 60s. And, you know, one of the saddest things I had to do last year was to cancel the city hall. I know that the joy and the happiness it would bring to elderly people. Yeah. For many elderly people, 
it's the hydrogen of the line and they go around from heat to heat the local areas yeah. um, and the reason I stopped at the over is was to combat loneliness yes. Yes. get people over their homes get and I know my friend it, it broke your heart didn't it last year to cu- to cancel things it broke your it, heart it, it, did, it did it did it did it did it did it upset me big 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 time big time it upset me I was if there were words stronger and greater than uh, it broke my heart I'd say yes indeed I'd just say oh my god I mean I used to look forward going around to the heats meeting the meeting people in the different areas and you had people came around night after night year after year and you had people then who were looking forward to the semi-final uh, or rather the final and it was a great occasion for families it was bringing families together I always remember the words of Bishop Buckley he said once it brings the community together Mm. It brings parish together. Oh, and huge, all, huge it, community. It brings families, yeah, fa- yeah. It brings families together. And, and you know, for people who've missed so much in, in the last 12 months, <clears throat> Paddy, particularly the elderly who are in good health, and there's many of them, thankfully, in good health, but they've been minding themselves for the last 12 months. Any word from you to them about, look, let's hang in there for just a little bit longer? Oh, you know, and that's what that says. I, look, I, I, I would, I would just say, look, it's, it's like this. We're going to get over this, please God. We are going to get through this. And you know, I think the expression they used to most people: the sun is going to shine again for us, and we'll rock and roll again. And that's, and that's what that is. The sun will shine, and we'll rock and roll again. We can have lovely evenings again. Just give it a time. We're coming in out to the summer, thank God. Um, the last few months have been far more difficult than last. For the simple reason that, um, like last year we had the we had the uh, it began in, in March and the weather wasn't too bad. April was okay. May people were sitting out in the sun in May, but for the last few months people are confined. A lady told last week she said, "I'm confined indoors. I'm like a prisoner." Yeah. How to get prisoner in at home. And for instance, there are some people, even um, when when the church is open for, for a few weeks, they didn't go to Mass. They yeah. didn't go to Mass. They were just afraid. There's a fright over people. Yeah. People are experiencing this virus in, in different ways. Elderly people said they can't wait to get out. Elderly people, some elderly people, they're just nervous. No, no, I was afraid to go there. I know, I know men and I know elderly people living on their own who have been outside the gate of their homes. They might go outside the gate, not the door. They would come out the hall door and that's it. And these it were people around. in good health? It, 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 in great health. They would just around several times, walk around the house, walk around the, the, the outside of the house with the day. And that's sad, sad, sad. And I never met so lonely people. I read people continuously because I can't visit their homes. And over the, over the phone, I can listen. It's a change in their personality. Yeah. The elderly who have a lovely, bubbly voice, full of energy and always, but no, they're sad, they're downhearted, they're depressed and lonely, and every word, every adjective we can use to describe them, we can use it in relation to the elderly. Because I'm used to it. If a lot of elderly, they have the ones in good health, they can't cope. You know, like, it's, it's it's like in a race in the last the last few yards it's very very tough this is it we're coming to the end please God hopefully it will come to an end but there are elderly people out there and they make a very urgent appeal to people the elderly still need your company make, make contact with the elderly people make sure they've got enough of heating heating is far more important even than food but make sure they have food okay. knock on the window speak to the window drop a note in the letterbox and yes. and Patty, I, I, I love the words you used a little while back and I'm going to take them and treasure them 
we will rock it, rock and roll again. Thank you very much. That's uh, Paddy O'Brien. I, I did this, that's that's a very moving conversation I've just had with Paddy. You know, for the elderly people, and that uh, that article in the Echo today also quotes Dr. John Sheehan, of course, great friend of the show, and he says people aren't safe until a week to ten days after the second dose of the vaccine. We're told that after your first jab, about two to three weeks after your first jab, you have a good solid level of immunity in your body. But only after your second one, eight to ten days after your second one, can you actually say, well, I'm now safe. And that's what they're asking people to do, to hang on and hang in for another little while until you've had your second jab. And then, as Paddy says, beautiful words, we will rock and roll again. 1857 After the break, a man who has written a poem about our nurses. And we want to hear it. Do that next. 1857 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Maybe you're at work today or maybe work is your office being set up in the back bedroom or the kitchen table. Either way, make sure you're with me as I race you through the afternoon with all your favourite tunes and all things Cork. See you at 12 on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 9696969696969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969
of very thought-provoking stuff. Owen Coyne, good morning. Morning, PJ. That, that's beautifully written and, and, and beautifully read, may I say. And there's, enough, there's an awful lot in there, including, of course, your, your wife's situation. But you want to talk about the nurses in general and what they're going through. I guess she's just one example and she's your close connection to it. But they've had a, a dog rough 12 months. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's my, I suppose it's my perspective on things rather than, rather than my wife's. Uh, yeah, and they have had a tough uh, few months. I, I know it, it, it's been really, I suppose it's been highlighted that they've been the heroes of this pandemic, you know, um, along with their colleagues in the medical profession, uh, doctors, uh, porters, cleaning staff, um, uh, healthcare assistants, uh, all of them, they've been immense. And um, I just, an idea came to me a couple of months ago uh, at the time of the, the vote that was taken um, to pay student nurses. And I think at the time as well, there was talk about waiving the registration fee for uh, nurses for the year as a thank you uh, for the work that they've done during the pandemic and, and neither of of the two happened. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I suppose, um, you know, as a poet, um, it's a great way of kind of expressing, uh, you know, my own opinions and I suppose reflecting what's going on in society um, at the moment. They, they, they've been overworked and undervalued. And I've spoken to a number of them. I've spoken in particular to one young student, Tessa, we spoke a couple of times about the year that the students that the students have had, which is even tougher than than the full timers. And and none of them have received anything like the value they deserve. Yeah, and that's it I suppose, um PJ, that's that like we can all see it. It it, it it's it's as plain as day and um that's why I just wanted to put it into verse and, and to put it in a poem. So, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing it from a, a place of empathy and from a place of solidarity with the work that they're doing. And just, I suppose, to show them that people do see that they are undervalued, that they, you know, that it, it, it is appreciated. But at the same time, there's only so much that a clap that we can, you know, there's only mm. so much of standing out and clapping that we can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I... I applause I doesn't poem. fill children's uh, bellies. It, it doesn't, no. And I mean, I, I named the poem uh, Don't Call It a Vocation. And I think to call nursing a vocation does a disservice to, to nurses. I mean, when I think of a vocation, I think of uh, a monk who's de- who dedicates his life to um, a monastery or a nun that dedicates her life to living in a convent. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's their whole life. I mean, nurses and, and doctors and anyone that's working in the medical profession who are undervalued in terms, uh, you know, I think that like they've got other like they've got other parts mm. of their life that are suffering because of the stress that they're put on. You're um, you're a bit younger than me. Um, I I think where the where the vocation thing still uh, is is attached to nursing is that f- going back in the day, as it were, an awful lot of nurses were nuns. There were an awful lot yeah. of nursing nuns, and and that's where it that's where it came from that you went into the nunnery first and then you trained as a nurse and you were a nursing sister, literally a nursing sister. And that's where the vocation thing came from. But for now, it's it's a profession and many, many thousands of of young women go into it, who, who and I suppose young men too, but 
would never have considered a life in a nunnery. You make the point at the very end of the, the poem, though, Owen, that you feel if it was, I think you feel if it wasn't a pretty much all-female profession, they'd be treated better. Yeah, I did. I, I think I wanted to link in the fact that it being a mainly female profession, obviously there are some fantastic uh, male nurses as well, um, but I suppose the vast majority of the nursing profession is female. And like, just like to give an example of like the those who wield power, like they're not, they're not. There's no experience around being a woman. I mean, most like it. Most of the, most of the people in positions of power are, are male. I mean, it's it, it's just to go a little bit off topic. I heard on the on the ten o'clock news about um, female councillors uh, not being entitled to maternity leave. Yeah. That just goes to show that, like, when uh, the rules or the laws are being made, that there's no consideration for um, things like maternity leave or 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 whatever it is, and it's just like. Um, it's just as though they're overlooked. Well, it's going to jump right in. It has jumped right into the main news headlines in, in the next few weeks because we have a cabinet minister yeah. um, who wants to take and is perfectly entitled to take six months maternity leave. I'm speaking about Helen McEntee, the Minister yeah. for Justice. She wants to take maternity leave from May and they haven't got a clue how to deal with it. They have no legal provision. This is amazing. It was amazing. It came up in the newspapers at the weekend. I think I was reading it in the Business Post. There is no legal provision for a member of Cabinet to take maternity leave. Or a member of the Doyle of the Shannon to take maternity leave in 2021. It's crazy. And I think it just highlighted as plain as day that uh, there is inequality that exists. Um, between females and males in terms of the professional world. I mean, um, you know, like as as um, the council, the councillor Kearns from Cork City Council said, like, um, you know, it's 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 a barrier uh, to women getting involved in politics and making decisions. So I mean, if if you don't like, as I said, going back to the poem and going back to um, females being involved yeah. in in in, uh, in in nursing, like. They don't have representation to put their voice forward. And, like, I know the contradiction of me speaking about this um, as a male, you know, is a bit... To be fair, the the, the great nursing leaders over the years, I mean, I know Phil Nihay is the the head of the nursing union at the moment, but for many, many years, the the, the case for nurses was fought by a brilliant Kilkenny man, Liam Doran. You know, and, and he, he made their case incredibly well for many, many years. Now Philney Hay is in that position. But if if we don't speak up for them, who will? Yeah, it's all about, you know, just um, being... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
being a voice of solidarity and yeah. I think that's just what I try to do in, in the poem you did a super and, job um, it's excellent and yeah thanks and, and there's been great feedback especially from the nursing profession which I, I was I was really glad about because I, you know I was afraid that I might have been like speaking um, you know out of turn as such no, you know and, no. and, and, and that they were going to you know no. but no it has been really positive and I'm, I'm yeah. delighted that it has resonated uh, and you know just kind of puts it uh, you know in the topic of conversation you know Absolutely. Maybe do, do, do you think finally and I know that you, you don't want to talk about your, your wife's individual situation and I fully respect that but in general with the stuff she brings home to you and the stuff that she obviously speak about um, do you think that anybody in authority knows or cares about that level of frustration? Yeah, no, I don't think they have a clue because, like, nurses in general are so busy in the day-to-day that they don't get a chance to, like, um, like to, to put their concerns uh, on the table. Like, I mean, even when you go back to the nursing strike of 2019, when I thought, when I thought of a strike I thought that the nurses were just going to down tools and I was thinking to myself who's going to mind the patients but in reality it was the nurses who were um, not on shift right. during the day were the ones that were striking they've never the once left a patient without they've care never once never left once ex- exactly so I mean that just goes to show the level of commitment that they have to um, their profession yeah alright and um, like you know when when, when when you do talk about those uh, uh, people in power, they they don't know because you know maybe they don't want to know, or maybe it's just a case of let's just keep going the way it's going yeah. because it mightn't be perfect. But look, we're getting on with it, and yeah. and it, 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 it's frustrating. Yeah. Okay. All right. Listen, no, on you've done a great job um, in, with that poem, um, which we've shared, I think, on our on our social. Or at least if we haven't. We already will. We, we certainly will. Uh, thank you for that own coin from y'all. A great reaction down in East Cork, and that's the, what he refers to: the his wife stopping to take a nap, driving down to y'all in the morning after her night shift. So so wrecked is she from the shift? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Kevin says, "Can anyone justify why someone needs to pay an annual registration fee just to serve the public with a straight face?" Ah, listen, Kevin, and I'm not going to say anything bad about an organisation, but just Google Coru. Look up coru.ie, C-O-R-U, and it's a kind of a central register. And look at the, look at the professions that do pay a registration fee of around 100 quid per year to do their job. Um, ask yourself the question, what do they get for us? I don't know. But massive numbers of people have to pay a registration just to do their job. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. With Made in Cork Play by ear rehearsed readings a collection of audio streamed rehearsed readings the Everyman Theatre is bringing out his nine superb scripts by exciting Cork writers 
The writers are Connell Creedon, Jeff Fitzgibbon, Liam Hale and Kate Holly, Irene Kelleher, John McCarthy, James McKeown and Patrick Talbot. Access all areas. The Cork Orchestral Society's online concert programme will continue in April with a solo performance from Fingy and Collins at the Curtis Auditorium. For more details and to check out two concerts already online, go to CorkOrchestralSociety.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at AAA at 96FM.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. We talked last week about Eating with the Enemy, new show that started on Virgin Media. Uh, interesting show where two people of diversely opposing views are put together to break bread and hopefully not pour their drink over one another's heads in the process. First episode last week was was most amusing and engaging. Next episode is on tonight at nine on Virgin Media One and features Corkman Harry McCann, uh, who I think, Harry, it's fair to say you're all for giving youngsters access to technology. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, I look, I, I, I suppose you'll come across tonight, but I think uh, I definitely have differing opinions from uh, the lady I'm sitting across to who is a parent and whose children haven't actually been using smartphones. And I think while I can appreciate a lot of the points that she makes and I think it'll come across that way, I think I just generally believe that smartphones, while they shouldn't be given to small children, should definitely be given to, I suppose, young teenagers mm. um, to allow them to explore the world of technology. Alwyn is her name. Um, yeah, it, it's but it, it's been an argument, I think, Harry, since the first smartphones came out. Like, when do we give them to our children? And in normal times, when we have big communion parties, when we used to have big communion parties, it came up on this program a number of years ago, the number of eight-year-old kids getting iPhones and, and big smartphones for their communion, which a lot of parents... Harry think is dangerous because of what it gives them access to. Yeah, no, look, and I'd agree with, with that, PJ, to be honest. And I think Owen and myself have discussed this in detail is that, you know, it's not really about giving it to small children. I'm not a, a fan of giving a device to a small child, especially considering what's out there, you know, in the world. You know, a Google search can find pretty much anything and a lot of inappropriate content that's not appropriate for a child is making their communion, you know. Age 9, 10, it's just not appropriate. So, what age but, is appropriate then? Look, I don't think there's any one set age for every child. I think it depends very much on the individual child and their individual background. I think when you look at when they're going into secondary school, I think it's a good time to start to introduce them to that technology because most likely most of their friends will be using it and I think they'll have developed enough skills and know how to be smart enough and savvy enough to use it. Um, look, you're not going to be able to block them off from ever, forever from this. It is a part of growing up. It is going to be a part of their future. They work with technology. And I think at the end of the day, if we educate kids, children the right way and how to use it like we do to drive a car you know nobody hops in a car PJ without first learning the rules of the road you know what you know what parents are most afraid of uh, is and again even if you wait until they're 14, 15 and I know you said there's no set age but Mm. if you say 14, 15 and hand them their first smartphone or their first tablet then well then they can access Snapchat and they can access Instagram and they can access all this where they get into the whole cyber bullying thing 
Yeah, and look, that's scary. And I think there's a lot of unknowns around that as well. It's very hard to know what happens when a child opens up Snapchat or what's going to happen if they if they get bullied in a class and somebody brings that home. It's very difficult, but I think it's all about giving the skills and I suppose the support necessary to say, you know what, if you are struggling, if somebody is doing something to you, come and speak to me, come and let me know because there's always a way around that. There's always a way to deal with that. So your view is rather than protect them from it, which some parents might want to do, you teach them to accept that it is there there's no avoiding it. Here's how you deal with it. Yeah, like, look, there's a risk. If you, if you send the child out to the shop and they walk to the shop by themselves, there's a risk that a stranger might pull over in a car and ask them to hop in. But, you know, we teach them to be smart enough and wise enough not to talk to strangers, not to hop into cars with strangers, and to go and seek help when necessary. And I think that's what we're doing here with okay. technology. It's that there is the risks, but there's benefits as well. And we just need to make sure they're educated mm-hmm. enough to go, know the difference between what's right and what's wrong and what's dangerous and what's safe. What's it like being part of a television show like that? I mean, I know that what we get is a carefully filtered and, and edit, edited version of what the producers want us to see. And you spend probably a lot a, a long, lot longer with, with Alwyn and your conversation was a lot more nuanced and detailed than we see. Did you have a row? No, to be honest, it was actually a very civil conversation. Um, I, I purposely went in with the objective of not having a row with somebody to be open and to try and appreciate what the other person's trying to say. Uh, it was obviously different. It was filmed back in January so it was filmed during COVID and there was a situation where, you know, I I was kind of isolated by myself before the show. You walk in, you sit down as most people would see. There's two metres apart much like first dates, you know, you're not kind of sitting across on the person and you're not sure who to expect. Um, even before that, the researchers and producers don't give you any insight. Oh, she had no idea. No, 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 not at all. Not even the type of person or just the general conversation was given to me. And uh, we sit down and you, you will kind of see there's a bit of shock on my face because I'm still not sure who I'm going to be seeing um, at all. So mm. I know. This, hang on, stop. This is the, this is a good bit now. So, so yeah. you, you actually didn't realise who you were going to meet and who you were going to be having the dinner with until she sat down. Yeah, no idea at all. I couldn't, I couldn't have told you her name. I couldn't even told you if it was going to be a man or a woman, um, old or young. I had no idea. Um, and I think, but everybody's the same as far as I'm aware. Nobody knows who they're sitting across to. And you get a general idea. You walk in, sit down, and the person then walks in behind you, and you introduce each other. So it's it's quite good actually. It makes for quite an interesting conversation. I'm sure um, it does because I wasn't aware of that. No, and then they, they do serve drink. I had a glass of water myself, but they do serve drink, so things do get quite heated at times in some conversations. But uh, no, I think I think we're very calm and relaxed compared to most. I think you'll see that tonight anyway. All right, listen, look forward to it. That's very good. Harry McCann uh, is a, a tech entrepreneur from Cork, but he's appearing tonight on the latest episode of Eating With The Enemy, which is on Virgin Media 1 at 9. I don't know, we did that on the programme last week. We mentioned that it was starting. I didn't. I wasn't sure of that. Maybe I missed it that they don't know who they're meeting until they sit down with them. That's kind of cool. 1850-715-996. Can I mention this? We don't normally do them when people have big, roundy birthdays and big, roundy anniversaries. Then we sometimes, sometimes now, Derry is the man who does all this on a Sunday, 10 till 2, old is an Irish, etc, etc. But, IPJ, can you please wish my mum and dad a happy 40th wedding anniversary. Their names are Gerard and Patricia Collins from Churchfield Square. And they're the most amazing parents in the world. All the best from Anne-Marie, Eric, Josh and Connor. Happy to do that. 1850-715-996. On vaccines and then my conversation with 
Paddy O'Brien. So many of our elderly and vulnerable are not yet vaccinated. And yet the British government is talking about boosters for people in the autumn to avoid a resurgence in the winter. They're already looking to the second chapter. The mind boggles. Oh, yes, your boggling muscles are very tired at the moment when you try to think about this vaccine rollout. And as I said at the very top of the programme this morning, no matter what you think of our crowd, Michal, Leo, Stephen Donnelly, the rest, no matter what you think of them, Paul Reid and the HSE, no matter what you think of them uh, and, and their efforts and the shortfall in, or the seeming shortfall in their ability to, to get it out there, you have to look to the EU and go, what the hell is going on? Where are our vaccines? You've licensed them. Where are they? Just on the adoption, talking to Marie from Ahantus earlier on about how, look, the more that emerges about the illegal adoptions, the more it's confirmed what we always knew there are thousands of them. Paul says, PJ, successive governments have known that the cases are in the tens of thousands for years. Hence, different ministers, including Michal Martin, wanting to stop and close it off. Some ministers even tried to make it a criminal offence to try to find your birth family and original documentation. Yes, yes indeed. Uh, you're thinking of Mary Hannafin back in the day when she was a junior minister at the department and she came up with a, a set of what they call heads of bill uh, for legislation and in it, in it was a threat that someone who went outside of the channels and used things like public records and, and to track down who they might be and where they might have come from that they could be criminalised for that, Paul. You're absolutely correct. Now that bill was subsequently taken off the table by, by Brian Lenehan, the late Brian Lenehan but when he took over in that job but it was because of that legislation, in fact, that the Cork Group, uh, Know My Own, of which I'm a very, very proud founder member, um, was set up uh, to defeat that uh, legislation. So that's, that's a good memory that you have there, my friend. Tom says, do they ever get the message that there's a serious problem and it won't go away and it must be dealt with? Eventually they do. Eventually they do. When they're held down by the throat and forced to look at it, they may eventually do that. Thanks, Tom. 1850 I've spoken with Graham McCormick on the show many times about his own story and his own dealings and battle with mental health and, and how he came through his darkest hour and we've discussed that darkest hour. I don't propose to go back there today, Graham, but you're very well these days and I'm glad to hear it. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on. You're in great. You're in great shape these days. I am. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely more centered in myself. Um, definitely more in the moment. And I actually have all the tools now to to process things when they come up, such as life. You know. And I think what you want to do now is pay that forward, and you want to give back, and set up. You're setting up a workshop. Yeah. So basically what what I'm setting up would, would, I suppose, would be a retreat and it's jam-packed full of workshops. So basically last week, I'd say about a week and a half ago, I was having a couple of days where I just felt a bit off, to be honest. Um, felt a bit overwhelmed with, with the pandemic and everything that was going on. And I just sat down and I just thought to myself, like if I have all these skills, the process, all of this stuff, which I just spoke of, Imagine how someone who does not have these skills is feeling. Yeah. So what I did, I brainstormed out of emotion and I thought of 
okay, I'm just, I can't do this on my own. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm a one-man band or whatever it may be, but I, I just, I cannot save the world as much as I want to, you know? So I decided to put up a video and I just threw it out there. And what I was looking for was basically everyone who, who is qualified in their own field, in the area of service or personal development, and try to get a massive group of us together to give back in the way that we're giving free workshops every week, Monday to Friday, all hours throughout the day until the end of lockdown. And the reason being is that personally, I feel, you know, th- there's a, a mantra that the government is pushing out um, over the last year. And it's think of others, think of others, think of others. Mm. And I acknowledge that and I respect that. But not once have they said, think of yourself too. You know what I mean? Not separate from that. Notice I said, think of yourself too. Not separate from that. Mm. Think of yourself and also think of others. But not once have they said that. You know, so, and I'm not here now to bash the government or give out about. No, know, but it's a very good point. Develop it a bit, like because, you know, I have a a therapist friend who has a lovely way. Of, if you meet her in the street or whatever, has a lovely way of finishing a conversation. She says, "Mind you, there's only one you. It is okay to mind you." Absolutely, it it is, and and that's very powerful. You know, like. I'd done a workshop last night, right? And I was just talking about it and I was talking about, you know, I come from, I've done a lot of research and I practice Buddhism there for a while. And kindness is a massive part of that. You know, kindness is the act of giving to others without the expectation of return. Now, if we continue to do that, kindness over kindness over kindness, it actually becomes people pleasing. So to stop that, what I normally say is just put yourself first, make yourself a priority. Even if you were on a plane, PJ, and the plane cabin pressure dropped and the oxygen masks came down, you know, the person over the, over the radio will say, you know, put it on you first. If you are there with a child next to you, you have to put it on yourself first. Because if you reach to put the oxygen mask on the child and it's too late, that's two ships that have sank, in a way, for lack of a better term. So you have to make yourself a priority, you know, um, especially now... I believe it should have always been that way, but it's definitely most important right now in the middle of a pandemic to think of you. Yeah. And there's a lot of people, I'm thinking in terms of, I think a lot of mothers um, uh, in particular, at the moment, they're trying to do a bit of work on the kitchen table. They're trying to look after three kids, not all of whom have gone back to school yet. They're trying to sort out bills uh, their partner could be struggling to keep the job or may even, even have lost the job. You've got people trying to exist on, on a PUP and grabbing five minutes for yourself, it's, it's like medicine for them. It is, and that's, that's what our intentions were, you know. And actually, just on that, just for a moment, PJ, I actually was chatting to someone who would be part of uh, a suicide prevention charity um, a number of weeks back. And we were just, we normally just check in with each other, have a conversation just to see how things are going and, and so on. And I just asked him, you know, what's the, the current trend with people, you know, presenting? And he said, you know what, it's actually flipped on its head because we often hear that, you know, it's, it's males. 75% of suicides are males. But he said, no, it's flipped on its head. And it's mothers and single mothers who are showing up and presenting more than men. And is that because they just can't, take it anymore they feel so alone 
I, I'd say it is. I didn't get into specifics, but I, I, I did. You know, I was actually kind of going, wow, that's an interesting fact, you know, that it's completely turned on its head right now. And that's why this is, our intentions are to help, guide and support everyone. You know, there's no dissection in this. There's no division. There's no nothing. We want to help as many people as we can. That's why we've set this up. And that's why we will go until the end of lockdown. And the government as well has a habit of giving us false hope with a date and then extending it. So we are prepared to carry that on if needs be. Yeah, I think we can take it, Graham, that we will be living with some level of it until at least the early summer. So that's kind of what, what, what you're about. So how can people get involved? Yeah, so what, what we're doing, right? Okay, so this is, I've personally come off of Facebook. And the reason being is that there was just, I'd say 90% of the statuses that would show up on my newsfeed were COVID this, COVID that, people arguing either side of that fence. And I was just like, okay, I'm just going to take a break from this. And that's an act of self-care. And that's how you make yourself a priority. So I came off of that. I'm now more active on Instagram, where there's actually, it seems to be a lot less of that. It's a much so, nicer platform, isn't it? It is, it is. I feel there's there's more, not positivity, but let's say there's less judgment and bickering mm. and everything else that goes on. It's just a picture with, a, a, you know, a quote or a couple of lines underneath it. You know, it's not a full status. And then another hundred comments underneath it of people disagreeing. Yes, you know, yes. um, I just feel it's a better platform for me and my mental health at this at this moment in time. So, everything is what we're doing is on Instagram. So, if people want to find a page, there's um, an amazing lady called Claire. She's a digital marketer. She has set up an Instagram page for us, and she will manage it. Good. So, the Instagram page is called, and this is the name of the retreat. Also, lockdown and thrive. So all lockdown. one word, lockdown and thrive. Okay, I like that. There's a nice little ring to that. Yeah, so it's all one word, all lowercase. If you search that on Instagram, you, you'll find it straight away. And it it's free. Everything is free. So what we do is the majority of workshops will be on Zoom and the link will be in the bio of that page. Gotcha. Or you can message the, the facilitators, the life coach, the personal trainer, the yoga teacher, teacher, whoever's, whoever's coming on for that Zoom link. It's free. Absolutely free. And the thing is that all we ask, and I stress, if possible, is to donate to a suicide prevention charity of your choice. Graham, I think this is incredible work that you're doing. Incredible work. I'm I, delighted to talk to you about it. Yeah, do you know what, PJ? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just accepting that as if it is what it is, because I I just feel it needs to happen. It should have happened a long time ago. And I actually feel a tiny bit of guilt that I didn't. Don't you dare. You know? Don't you dare. You did it when you were ready. You did it when you were ready. Yeah. But look, it's happening. And I think right now is the best moment for it. Um, I think the lockdown is going on for so long that, you know, the longer we go in, the more stress people will be under. And this is for everyone, PJ. This is not just for, you know, someone who's in crisis or whatever it may be. You know, I think this may be brilliant, actually, Graham, for, and something we've talked about so much over the last few weeks on the Opinion Line is about people who, like you said, whose, whose mental health is normally quite robust and they get on with life and they never really have a problem, but now they're feeling a bit flat and a bit battered. I think it'd be brilliant for them. Yeah, it's, and that's the thing. As I said earlier, it's for everyone. You know, and that Good. point there that you made is, is fantastic because it's not just for people in crisis. This is for someone who is 
even at home, who's just bored. You know, in the yeah. evening, they've, they've been into work or whatever, maybe, or, or they're on Zooms all day. And just, just come on for that, you know, for that couple of hours. Because some of them do go on for a couple of hours. You, it's absolutely no fantastic. I, I'm, I'm going to go to, to the news, but I will plug the heck out of it. And we will too, Graham. Thank you very much. Graham McCormack, a super idea for those, for everybody, uh, free Via Instagram, lockdown and thrive, all one word, lockdown and thrive, and it's free. What a fantastic resource. Great guy. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Well, if Graham McCormack does nothing else this Wednesday, other than speak to me on the Opinion Line about lockdown and thrive, Graham, you will have done an extraordinary day's work because we got a message to say, this is from Maeve. Graham is the person I really needed to hear this morning. I feel like I'm hitting burnout and I'm very, very down. Thank you, Graham. I suggest, Maeve, you go off to Instagram, open it on your phone or your tablet and look for Lockdown and Thrive. Lockdown and Thrive. Great idea, great initiative and it's all free. And it's for... Everyone, but I think particularly for the people that we hear certainly on the opinion and have tried to focus on very much during this lockdown, the people who are just feeling a bit battered by it all, a bit flat, a bit sort of like you've been rolled over by a bus and you've got to get up and do it all again. That kind of that kind of of, of exhaustion and, and that kind of mental stress and that kind of emotional difficulty. That's that's hard. And a lot of people struggling with it at the moment, particularly on a day like this when the weather is crap. So lockdown and thrive. Have a look at that on the ground. 185715996 is the number to call. Text to WhatsApp 0833969696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. If you want to hear anything back from the first two hours of our program, you can do so when the podcast hits online this afternoon, goes up, as I say, between two and three. We'll tweet the link first, and then it goes to all the individual platforms and the Cork's 96FM app, and it's all free, free of charge. Let us look to St. Patrick's Day. And this time last year, it would have been around this time last year, we were tearing each other apart, limb from limb, about what would happen with St. Patrick's Day. This time last year, if I remember correctly, the Dublin one had been cancelled, but the Cork one was still inclined to go ahead until maybe another day or two when it was pulled. But this time last year, people were wondering, well, what will we do for St. Patrick's Day? Let us remind ourselves, it's this day week is our national holiday. And of course, there will be no parades this year. No real ones and no festival as in no real festival. But there's a national virtual festival. And I'm joined by the organiser and by the Grand National, or rather the Artistic Director and the Grand Marshal of the uh, virtual parade and indeed the whole festival that goes along with it. I'll start with Karen Walsh, who's the Artistic Director of the festival. It's online and it's for everyone, isn't it, Karen? Good morning. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yes, we have something in there, and I hate saying it, but it is for everybody. We have programmed over 300 events, and they we have turned our website into a TV channel, and we're also doing a takeover of a Rock the TV 
for the entire six days and nights of the festival. A lot of people might say you should do that on a permanent basis, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So the format is completely online, on the telly, events from all over the country. Now, it's kind of a replacement for the Dublin Festival, but you've made it national. Yes, I mean... So the St. Patrick's Festival is actually the national festival, but it takes place in Dublin because that's where you have the parade um, and the live events normally. But what's been a brilliant opportunity this year is that we have now, because of our funding with the Department of Arts, we have been going out to artists all over the country and we've been asking them to film their shows, their, their performances, their workshops, their talks, whatever they're doing in their hometown, hire their local crew, filmmakers, editors, and bring us into your home. So we're going to Donegal, Belfast, Aran Islands, Cork, Waterford, Kilkenny, everywhere. And it's really made it a national festival. And then we're going to be able to see all these films on the SPF TV, on our website, on our office TV, and not just in Ireland, but globally. So there's people looking forward to watching it from New York, Dubai, the Irish are all over the world, so it's um, it's really turned it into a, an an international festival, even. So, what you know? kind of uh, attractions can we expect? Who's there, as it were? Yeah, so I mean, we programmed, we've curated these days, uh, so like a TV channel. So you have to do everything. So you start every morning with yoga. So we have our mindfulness with Michael Ryan, who's the president's um, yoga teacher, that might bring you into a virtual tour. So we've the first ever. Book of Kells virtual tour or the military archives or the Hill of Ishnock Galway food tours. Then you, we have every day at lunchtime, you have um, Comorella Marion. Marion Richardson interviews guests at one o'clock from Panty Bliss to Sabina Higgins, Liz Nugent. We have the history of Irish food at two o'clock every day. That's every, from going right from the, you know, wild food foraging right up to modern day. We have Blind Boy Boat Club. He's doing uh, his five minutes, like it's our Angelus series, every evening. And we're giving back mentally, um, creativity and mental health sort of, uh, messages back to all the artists who have been doing so much work for us. We're doing our RT virtual parades all week. So we've, we've commissioned all the pageant companies. We've got the Cork Puppetry Company down there. Yeah, doubt you. Free. Yeah. Data, they've changed now to Cork Puppetry Company. Gotcha. And um, and then you know, so they're running, we're running workshops for kids, uh, circus performances for kids. We have storytelling, and then we have these beautiful, amazing, big premiere music shows each evening oh. at eight o'clock. So you Come can on, tune tell me in. more. Tell me more. Who 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 who? So we start off um, on. Uh, Friday night which is our first day with Palms Penny Each and it's where Lisa Hannigan and there's loads of other musicians like Adrian Crowley Cora Venus, Venus Lully, Lunny and they have um, they're reimagining a book of poetry by James Joyce so it's called Palms Penny Each and it's been filmed in the Museum of Literature in Dublin we also have Soleil uh, so Ireland's leading pop. Oh, she's brilliant. We love her on 96FM. She's brilliant. She's yeah. brilliant. So we filmed her doing a brand new show in the complex and we filmed it like it's a big music video. And that's going out on St. Patrick's night at nine o'clock. Um, so all new music. And then also we have on earlier on St. Patrick's night, we're doing Baroque, Le Failaport. That's our big festival hug. We wanted to create this traditional music show with loads of our modern traditional performers like Colin Mocanomra, Lisa O'Neill, 
Doreen Glacken, Ronan Osnudig, um there's about 15 different Cormac Begley. Fantastic. The, the, the theme yeah. of the whole thing is Dushig Era. Dushig Era. Yeah. yeah. Era, and that means awake in Ireland. And, you know, we have just come from, this is our year anniversary from being shut down last March. And that was a really tough year, really tough festival. We didn't know what was going on for weeks and we just kept plowing through, hoping that things could happen. And then, of course, we had to shut down and that was no problem. But we just thought, what we need to do something very special for this year. And we want people now to just throw off this long, dark year that we've had. It's coming up to summer. Spring is in the air. And we have created this really uplifting, fun there's loads of comedy in there as well from Foil Arms and Hog and Michael Fry. We want this fun, uplifting program that people can all come together, feel connected, no matter where you are in Ireland or in the world, be, celebrate our Irishness and just have that little bit of a lift. Sound, sounds like an awful lot of fun. You mentioned comedy and, of course, for a, a virtual festival has to have a virtual grand Marshall, uh, joining us from exile in Dublin, is, <laughs> is our own Tara Flynn. Hi, Tara. Hey, PJ, how are you? I'm so thrilled. I'm virtually thrilled, virtually <laughs> delighted, virtually honoured to be the Grand Marshal. I can't believe it. I'm going to have to mind my P's and Q's now. I, I reckon I, I, I can't be swearing or anything like that anymore. And I'm going around waving at people, whether they like it or not. They don't know why, but I'm amusing myself. Yeah. You, you've been out of Cork for too long. You, you stuck <laughs> in exile. You know? I have, both in terms of, of living away from it and also in terms of not being able to travel down during lockdown because I live I mean. in yeah. Dublin and my mum's in Kinsale so it's really biting now and so yeah. it's lovely to be part of this which is a kind of a really unifying thing yeah. that wherever we are in the country we can share this together or wherever you are in the world and uh, it's just a lovely fun bright and uplifting and there is because it is it's been a dark year for many of us um, your your previous item you know and, and people are it is really biting for people at the moment and it's just lovely to have something where it's not just a focus for fun, although there's plenty of that. There's room for reflection as well, mm. and to just to 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 realise that we are all we are all supporting each other somehow. Yeah, you are hosting the the television channel effectively. I am, I am indeed. I will be. There's over a hundred programs, so uh, yes, there is going to be a lot of links, but it's going to be absolutely brilliant. And and um, as Karen was saying, people can get it on Iraqis TV. Here in Ireland, and, and did you ever think, Tara Flynn, that you'd appear on Iraqis television? Not for the right reasons, TJ. No, <laughs> um, no, only for bad reasons. <laughs> this is a good reason, and you know it is going to be. We hope marginally more entertaining. So um, I know that people are usually glued to Iraqis TV. This is a real. We've finished all our box sets now. Please do tune in, and wherever you are in the world, it's it's St Patrick's Festival. stpatrick'sfestival.ie. So you can watch anywhere. Yeah. SPF TV is what it's calling itself. SPF TV, and it's at St. Patrick's Festival.ie. And you'll be linking up the whole lot. Look forward to it across six days. Starting, just to clarify again, it starts this Friday. That's right. Mark. It's Friday, yep. All right, all Sorry, right. Sorry, I jumped in at 9.30 in the morning. All right, listen. Uh, thank you, Karen Walsh, and thank you, Tara Flynn. Karen, the artistic director of the festival, and Tara Flynn, virtual grandmaster of the virtual festival. Uh, Eroctus TV, they're taking it over for the week. Uh, if you want to get Eroctus TV, it's on Serview, Channel 22, Virgin, Channel 207, Sky, Channel 517, Air, 
Channel 504 and Vodafone has two or three different channels. Wouldn't Vodafone have to be different now? 201, 207 and 208. Eroctus TV. wonder will there be any input from the Healy Rays? I mean, you can't have Eroctus. That's what people watch Eroctus TV for. You know? Take that back now, Minister! The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. You guys ready? We're jiving, we're jiving. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. So the commute home might be a little bit different these days, but I've still got everything you need right here in the show, like celebrity interviews. I heard with Sam Smith and the whole night pretty much consisted of piano and Sam Smith wearing a Beyonce wig. You get to pick the playlist on the takeover. I'd love to hear the new song from 1975. And competitions to make you do this. <laughs> I'll talk to you weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. Tomorrow's show is something that you might be interested in being part of. It always works really well. People love to hear about their dreams. And tomorrow we will be talking about dreams and what they mean. We did this a few months ago and it was really popular. So we're going to give it a go again. And I'll be talking to Michael Sheridan. He's a dreams analyst. He's been with me on the show before. And we want you to tell us your maddest dream your craziest dream, the dream that worries you a little bit, the dream you simply can't understand, the dream that sort of you go to sleep thinking, am I going to have this again? Or the dream that you want to have again and can't. Any dream at all that, uh, as the old song used to go, any dream will do. Uh, Let us know what it is, and we'll put a few of them to Michael tomorrow when he joins us on the opinion line. So just send an email to... Opinion at 96fm.ie, market dreams, or just send a text or WhatsApp to 083 396 96 96, or send us a message at Facebook, market for the attention of the opinion line. Your dreams, the strange one. I had one actually. This is the weirdest thing. I might bring this up with, with Michael tomorrow just to, to, to get the ball rolling. But Queen Bee and I were out in the garden on Sunday afternoon, beautiful day that it was, and uh, just chatting. Uh, over a mug of coffee and she pointed to a corner of the garden that we kind of wanted to do something with for a while because it's the last part of the garden that gets the evening sun. This is, a, by the by way of explaining something to you. And she said, you know what would be lovely there now is a small little deck. And decking is easy, as you know. It's easy to make your own decking. But she said, what would be nice there is a small little deck. And and let's measure it out and dig it out and put in a little deck um, that we can sit there in the evening time when the sun is going down over the ditch and be just lovely. I thought, that's a fabulous idea, thinking that we could well be stuck uh, in the garden quite a lot over the coming weeks and months. So we had the conversation and I brought out my measuring tape, as you do, and I took a measurement. And I thought, yeah, calculation. And I went, just way off, thought, what 
completely forgot about it and went to watch the news. Well, do you think that night that I could get the bloody deck out of my head? It was rattling around in my dreams for the whole of Sunday night. No idea why it happened. But that's the kind of thing you want to bring up with Michael Sheridan tomorrow. Welcome to do so. Opinion at 96fm.ie. Mark your email, dreams, or you can text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 The kids are going back to school in dribs and drabs. Uh, we hear from Neffet, which is good news, that with the case numbers going down the way they are, it will now be safe for the rest of primary to go back next week and I think the rest of secondary will be going back after Easter but the rest of primary now going back to school next week possibly the fifth years as well in secondary school but Monday was the, the day that the second set was to go back the, first, the, the smallies went back last week um, but helping them to go back to school is, is kind of part of our job as parents not like me, my kids are long gone from school, but you, you, you get the drift. It's, it's part of our job as parents to, to help them to get back to school and to help deal with the emotional turmoil of being taken out of school before Christmas and now the uncertainty of not being able to go back and, and the worry and the concerns that the kids will have. And art therapy and other such things are great to help. Roisin Kenny is a yoga teacher with Mind Body Ireland. Roisin, good morning to you. Hello, good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on. Good to talk to you. Art you. therapy for kids. What is art therapy? Well, art therapy is a form of psychotherapy, so that's the first thing to kind of understand about it. But it's a, a form of therapy that uses creativity and different forms of art making as an extra method of communication or expression. So it could be really beneficial for younger children who might not yet have a broad emotional vocabulary, or it could be beneficial for people who find it really difficult to know or to understand how they're feeling. And it can be useful for people who just really like creativity or art and they want to use it as an extra ingredient in their own therapy. Could you maybe get a tiny bit closer to that phone for me, if you would? Oh, I can. No problem. Hope that, that's, that, better. that's better now. That's that's better. So you're saying like a child of maybe, well, the, say the the seven or eight year old or nine year old who is due to go back to school next Monday might mm-hmm. be a little bit worried about it, may, may not necessarily be able to put it into a form of words, but exactly. might be able to draw a picture. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So... I mean, art, art therapy would be a mental health service or intervention that people might consider if they were looking for extra support. But families might be interested in knowing how to use art at home outside the clinical setting yes. and how to help them use it in a way to calm or soothe the child and to start conversations or start curiosity with the child. Mm. So, so what do you do? Do you literally just put... A pen, some crayons and a piece of paper in front of them, or what do you do? Well, I would recommend considering it first as where and when you would do it. Yes. So where in the house would be a good place for the adult or the carer to sit or the parent with the child. And then when, so think about the family 
schedules and timetables. When could it be routine and regular? Because routine helps build stability and a sense of safety. So once you have found where in the house and when in the day would work, then try to keep that regular and reliable. Mm. And then the most important or the strongest ingredient might be how you do it. So rather than worrying about what you do, the, the adult that's sitting down with the child could take a moment to first take a few deep breaths and center and become grounded and calm themselves. And also importantly, become open and available to the child. Because when the adult can calm themselves first, it helps the child to calm down. So it's called co-regulation. So it's a really strong and powerful uh, tool that the parent or the carer has within themselves Mm. to activate, to help the child. Does it have to be, or should it be as best you can, a time of the day when you can give your undivided attention? As much as possible, yes. So, you know, it, it can be just, I mean, I have some examples of, of games or activities that could be 10 minutes. So if you could even keep that reliable moment for connection going at a time that really works well for you all in the family. So it would be different household to household, depending on the ages and the numbers. Um, but I think that being emotionally available and calm yourself as much as possible is important and that's what's really difficult at the moment is because everyone is stressed so it's really hard for the parents to be able to tune into that calming capacity inside themselves yeah and then when you get into that routine mm-hmm. um and a child begins to express something that takes you a little bit aback what can you do well exactly the child might have loads of ideas or of what they want to draw when they sit down so I'd always you know be curious and wonder with them and then let them start Um, and I suppose staying steady staying grounded being curious and open and accepting with them for whatever arises is important and then if you feel that you know you do think you would like extra support then it would be important that you um you know, reach out and find out what's available in your area that might support you. Because it's important sometimes to know that it doesn't have to be a crisis before you reach out for help. That, yeah. you know, extra support for a small period of time can be really beneficial and give everyone enough space to to kind of feel back yeah. into their strengths again. You mentioned one of the, one of some of the games that you can play. Mm-hmm. A little, I love the turn-taking one that you okay. draw something and the child scribbles something and then you respond, we'll draw a picture together kind of thing. Exactly. Kids love this and it helps them feel seen by the adult. It helps them feel connected to with the adult and the rhythmical element of, like think table tennis, your go, my go, your go, my go. Rhythm um, of any sort like that really soothes and settles the nervous system. So if a child was getting pains in the tummy before bed because they were nervous about school, you could say, okay, it's time for our turn-taking game. And it's a lovely way to have a sense of what's going on because you'll see their colour choices and changing day to day. And also one of the positives of, of engaging in art forms is that it connects us to playfulness and that explorative mindset. And when we're stressed, and worried. So for a child, for example, if they're stressed or worried, they begin to withdraw and they disconnect from playfulness. 
So what you're doing, in a sense, by sitting down and being with them and being calm with them is helping reconnect them to that wonderful playfulness, softness, curiosity and wonderment that Mm. is usually associated with childhood. And And that fantastic imagination. So you might start with just putting a circle on a page and then you say to the child, "Okay, you're next. They might draw a face or they might. Yeah. And their imagination will come flooding onto the page. Absolutely. And and there's no right or wrong. That's the other thing. So there's no right or wrong. Everyone's an expert in their own art making. So uh, be as curious and wondering as possible is Brilliant. what I'd always recommend. I think you have a, an event coming up this weekend for, for for parents. I do. So in case people feel that extra support would be beneficial to create breathing space, I'm going to do a free online short webinar on Saturday morning where I'll talk more about art therapy for children and importantly what the parents' role is when their child is in therapy and sort of what we're talking about now, how to keep the curiosity and the playfulness going at home and I'll be explaining what the journey might usually look like for a child as they go through therapy. It's on Saturday, 10 o'clock, and if they register through the website Mind Body Ireland, all one word, mindbodyireland.ie, they'll get a Zoom link, yeah? They will. Once you register, you'll get an email replying to you with your Zoom link. And if you're not available suddenly on Saturday morning because life happens, that's okay. I'll be sending out to the participants a little edited summary of the event so that they can get the basics. And I'm also inviting people to send in any specific questions that they might have okay. in advance of the session. Excellent. That might be helpful. Excellent. Sounds like a really good resource. Thank you very much for that. Uh, and I'll give the details of it again. That's uh, Roisin Kenny from Mind Body Ireland about using art to help the kids through these uh, tough old times. They're tough for us all. And we might have Graham McCormick's fabulous new resource, Lockdown and Thrive, but the kids need something too. So a little bit of art therapy. And if you want to go online for Saturday and get more information about that event, you'll get it on mindbodyireland.ie. All one word, mindbodyireland.ie. 1850-715-996. Here's one in from Mel. Hi, PJ. On the dreams. Yeah, yeah. I've been having a lot of dreams lately with insects in them. Bees and wasps in one. Moths and dragonflies in another. I'm always trying to catch them or maybe kill them. What does that mean? Many thanks, says Mel, who loves the show. Well, Mel, those are the kind of questions that we're looking for tomorrow that Michael Sheridan can maybe help us with. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See motors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Maybe you're at work today or maybe work is your office being set up in the back bedroom or the kitchen table. Either way, make sure you're with me as I race you through the afternoon with all your favourite tunes and all things Cork. See you at 12 on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Cork's 96 FM. Talking as we were earlier on about vaccines, like. 
kicked off this morning with one of my little rants. I know, I know, Sermon on the Mount and all that. But I kicked off one of my little rants about the vaccines and how we might speed it all up. Uh, there are those who point out, and, and quite realistically, we're not the worst in the world in terms of getting vaccines out. But we ain't the best either. Um, we're about, I think, 10th or 12th on a table in terms of the speed of getting vaccines out to the population. But we're hearing every day that this is delayed and that is delayed and we won't reach this target and we won't hit that target because how it's working, as has been explained before, is that all of the various vaccines, as they're licensed by the European agency that licenses them, like Pfizer, already licensed and coming into us, Moderna, already licensed, coming into us. AstraZeneca, licensed, coming in. And hopefully, very soon, Johnson & Johnson, licensed, we think, by the end of this week, supposed to come to us, hopefully by by mid-April. And any other vaccine that gets licensed. And how it's working is that the EU is buying millions, if not billions, of doses. And millions of doses. And it is allocating them to the member states according to population, which means we get roughly 1%, 1.1% of the EU stock. But it is slow, very, very slow to come. And deliveries are being missed. And Billy Kelleher, Fianna Fáil MEP for Ireland South, has come up with an idea. Billy, what is it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, I mean, the the idea here is that uh, some countries are not administering the doses that they are getting. In other words, the European Central Procurement uh, purchasing of vaccines, they distribute then those to every country that signed up on a pro rata basis. But some countries are only distributing around 60 to 65% of the actual doses they get. So you take countries like Germany, Italy, France, with big populations getting a lot of doses, they're only distributing about 65% of what they get. So there's quite a substantial number of unused vaccines on a weekly basis in the European Union. And what I'm saying is rather than continually giving them the pro rata that they're entitled to, that they would start moving those vaccines to countries that are actually either under pressure because of increase in coronavirus um, spreading throughout the population or if you're efficiently giving uh, the doses to people. And Ireland is inefficient uh, in terms of rollout of vaccines. So let's hold up any country alike as an example. Let's, for argument's sake, say Germany. Uh, Germany isn't exactly ploughing through its allocation. So there'd be a couple of million doses held waiting to go to Germany from that allocation. Germany isn't ploughing through at the rate it expected to. So what you're saying is the EU would say to Germany, right, you know what now, until such time as you're finished with what you have, we're giving some of them to Ireland. Is that how it would work? Yes, that's basically how it would work. I mean, between Germany and France, um, at the end of last week, there was about six and a half million doses that weren't used between Germany and France. And what I'm saying is that, look, obviously every country needs a reserve because of the second vaccine rollout as well. But even at that, three to four million vaccines could easily be redistributed 
to other countries. And then when Germany, you know, stock is, is depleted, that there would be an, another allocation. And I just think that we have to be very clever. This really is about primarily getting the vulnerable cohort. Because um, if that happens, Billy, you can see the logic of that. Because if, like you said, if, if, if Germany and France had about four million spare between them and we're sitting here waiting for a truckload in five or six days' time, well, they could, some of their stock could come to us, get some of our people vaccinated faster. And then when we catch up, then we'll have spares because, well, we'll be at a certain point in our programme. It makes logical sense. Now, what's the hurdle? What's the if? Well, the hurdle, obviously, is the Council, the European Council. Every country would have to agree to it. Um, Estonia and other countries are coming on board in this idea as well. So hopefully we could get enough countries that would actually you know, push for this. And in the interest of solidarity, there's not much point in having a, a load of doses in a fridge in Heidelberg or Frankfurt when populations elsewhere uh, could be availing of them because of efficient rollout. And is that the case? Are there stocks of doses in, fridge, in fridges well, in yeah, Frankfurt? Yeah, well, I mean, all over Germany. The fact is that at the end of last week, there was over 3 million doses that were hadn't been distributed or had been distributed but not administered in Germany and the same in, in France. So between France and Germany last week, there was over 6 million doses that were in the country but hadn't been administered to patients. Now, 1% of that would be what for us? Another about, what, 60,000? Well, yeah, but, yeah, but you see, it would be 1% because, I mean, like, the, the, the big, it's a pro rata basis. So you're taking off the country with a massive population. So it's, 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 it's an awful lot more than 1%, if you understand. I mean, you're not, you're getting your... But don't we get don't we get one percent? Just for clarity, for clarity here. So don't we get one percent of the stock? So yeah. if, for argument's sake, Johnson and Johnson uh, is is licensed this week, and the EU has bought, we'll say a hundred million doses of Johnson and Johnson, then we get a million because we're one percent of the population. Now the, the the stock that's left over, if you like, week on week. Would we still only be entitled to one percent of that? No, no, you wouldn't. I mean, you get one percent of what the European Union purchase. Yeah. But this is surplus uh, vaccines that are given to countries as part of their allocation, but they're not able to distribute them. So you would actually take them and give them to other countries uh, based on their need or their ability to roll us out. It wouldn't be part of the one percent. What kind of transport and logistics nightmare would that be, though? Well, it wouldn't be a huge logistical nightmare because effectively what you would do, rather than going around to Germany collecting the doses from them, you just wouldn't give them their next allocation. You'd transfer it to countries that could uh, administer the dose. And, of course, so the stuff is coming in every day. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's on a rolling basis. So Germany has a stockpile at the moment. So what I'm saying, rather than continue to give them their 1% allocation or their allocation sorry, of the... Um, to go into a freezer. Rollout, that... Yes, that would be redirected uh, to countries that can roll it out because they're efficiently able to uh, administer it or in the event of a country having a massive outbreak and needing vaccines quickly to contain it. Now, you, you've written, I think, to, to Michal Martin and to Stephen Donnelly to try to support this. In order for it to work, uh, sorry, in order for it to happen, what would have to be done? Well, the, the Commission obviously would make, uh, you would hope, uh, very quick um, uh, moves to get the Council to agree to this. Uh, so the European Commission would, in effect, 
uh, try and get all the member states to agree to the redistribution of surplus vaccines that aren't being used by countries at any at any point in time. How quickly could this be agreed if there was agreement to be had? Well, look, it will have to be done through the next council meeting, um, you know, which is next month. But at the same time, this would certainly still prioritise the vulnerable cohorts, PJ. See what, like, what I'm interested in doing is trying to get the vulnerable groupings vaccinated quickly. You know, when it goes out to the broader population, obviously, you know, that's a different story. But we just need to be able to front load the capacity of countries to get the vulnerable groupings vaccinated. And once we're into the the, the healthier population base and the younger population base, well, look, we all want to be vaccinated, but the pressure comes off to a certain extent in terms of lockdowns, because we should be basing, I think, from now on, not on the number of corona cases, but the number of people who are going to hospital, hospitalizations and ICU, because once you have the vulnerable groupings vaccinated, you'll still have outbreaks from time to time, but will be among the less vulnerable populations. Who will eventually get their hospitals. vaccines anyway. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. and you know, and it's uh, and it's are less likely to end up in hospitalisation scenarios yeah. and in ICU. Billy, it'll never work, and do you know why it'll never work? Because it makes sense. <laughs> well, well, look, I. I'm sorry. That I no, no, you and I, you and I have had a go off each other over the years many times. This makes incredible sense, which is why it'll never happen. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm still hopeful. I, I live in hope out here, PJ. You have to be optimistic in this whole <laughs> business as well. But, but like, there are some countries that are showing interest in us, uh, and you know, you'd like to think that the bigger countries will just realise that rather than having millions of doses at mm. any point in time not being used, it's effectively just stock rotation. You send the stock yes, where it needs to be used. Exactly. That's just exactly stock rotation. Listen, Billy, thank you very much for that. Billy Kelleher, uh, Fianna Fáil MEP, MEP, rather, for Ireland South. That's the, I was trying to think of that for, for the couple of minutes he was talking. Stock rotation. Like rolling out stock to shops. Where do you send the stock? To the shops with the empty shelves. You don't send the stock to the shops that are full. Even bread or anything. You don't send three lorry loads of bread to shops that are already full. You send your lorry loads of bread out to shops that have a, that, that, that are empty and have used all their bread. It makes so much sense, it'll never happen. Listen, we were talking about the virtual St. Patrick's Festival uh, earlier on, and I forgot to mention uh, that the council here in Cork will be greening about 30 of our best landmarks for the St. Patrick's Festival, St. Patrick's uh, Week. Uh, the Shaky Bridge will be going green. Shandon's Bells will be going green. The City Hall, I imagine, County Hall. We must get a full list, actually, of what will be going green uh, for the St. Patrick's Day celebrations. 1850-715-996. Before St. Patrick's Day, though, comes Mother's Day. There won't be a daffodil left on the side of the roads come Monday or Sunday morning because loads of fellas will realise Saturday evening, oh, Jesus, me mother, whipping all the daffodils. But if you want to think of a more thoughtful gift and an unusual gift and a gift that your mother might absolutely love, Stanley Knott has come up with a design idea. Hi, Stan. How you doing, PJ? Good to talk to you, man. And you, sir. What you got for us? Well, I just I, uh, about two years ago, I started the Pure Cork range of gifts. Um, and this year, I've done a, a, a range for Mother's Day. So I've got cards, coasters, cushion covers. Um, hoodies, t-shirts with I love me ma'am on them and then cork lingo in the inside of the card so the front of the card just says I love me ma'am love is represented by a heart and on the inside it says my ma'am is massive 
quintessent the berries and totally kula bula. And if you think your mother's the best mother in pop, which means, of course, she's the best mother in the world, you can get a card that says number one rebel ma'am on it. And on the inside, it says, ma'am, you are pure massive, pure sound, pure kula bula, and I love you. And then these are all your own designs. They are indeed, DJ. They're designed and printed, produced everything in cock. Have you yeah. mugs and all? You have? I have mugs, I have coasters, I have cushion covers, and I have cards, yeah. As long as I know you, you were coming up with crazy ideas. I think this is going to be an absolute stormer for you. Where, where can people get them, Stan? Uh, the website is stannotcreations.ie. Stannotcreations. Can, can people pay, use PayPal or stuff like that and you post How do we get them? Yeah. yeah, there's PayPal and I can post them, register post. If you want them post, you'd really want to be ordering today, but they can come and collect. Um, when they order, they get an email that gives them the postcode and the address to collect out here in Glashing. Oh, very like, good. Oh, great. Mail. Saturday evening for collection. All right, listen, it's a fabulous idea. And Stan, Stan, Stan Not Creations. Stan Not Creations.ie, and there's a pure cork uh, specific page there. All right, deadly idea. Good man, and good luck with them. That's uh, Stanley Not. A uh, load of stuff. Best man in the world, like. Me, me, me berries, me Dazza. Your mammy's me Dazza. Well, Stan Not Creations. Uh, you find all the designs there. What a cool idea. Much better than Robin Daffodils at the side of the road. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. The Executive Research Desk has come up with the list. Cork County Hall will be greened up. McCroom County Hall. Carnegie Hall in Mill Street. Only Mill Street would have its own Carnegie Hall. Carrigaline Bridge, the Middleton Library, the Kindred Spirit Sculpture, Middleton Courthouse, Yall Clockgate Tower and Yall Town Hall, Mallow Castle and Spa House, Mallow Town Hall. Big long list of various buildings around Cork City and County to be greened up for the St. Patrick's Day Festival. If there's any more to add, we'll try and do the full list uh, before the end of the week. Quickly, uh, no, we don't actually have time for anything else, so we don't. We're done and dusted for the day. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.